Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life, so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel, and ladies, I have a question for you. Are you tired of feeling like you're the one putting in all the effort to make your relationships work? Then go to speakingofpartnership.com right now and click on the big red Tell Me More button and find out how you can get men to do their part. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I am extremely excited to bring you today's featured guest, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Bernie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you. You know, I have to say, as soon as you said partnership, I was thinking about relationships and because uh, I'm always talking about them, whether it's husband, wife, doctor, patient. So I don't know if you have more of an introduction, but that's one of the most important things, I think, in all our lives, our, our relationships, our partnerships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of the reason why I, I contacted you, Bernie, was I really felt like you have so much to offer in regards to outside of, yes, there's the, you know, partnerships we have with our, our romantic partners, but what about the partner with our doctor patient, so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm thrilled to get into this. Let me, let me make sure everybody knows who I'm talking to today. <laughs> so for anybody who may not know, uh, Dr. Siegel, who actually prefers to be called Bernie, he was born in Brooklyn, New York. And for a lot of folks, he may not need an introduction. He has touched so many lives all over the planet. Matter of fact, in 1978, he originated something called Exceptional Cancer Patients. It's a very specific form of individual and group therapy utilizing patients' drawings, their dreams, images, and feelings. It's based on something called carefrontation, a safe, loving, therapeutic confrontation which facilitates personal lifestyle changes, personal empowerment, and healing of the individual's life. Now, the, the physical, spiritual, and psychological benefits which followed led to Bernie's desire to make everyone aware of his work and of the healing potential that's there. He realized that exceptional behavior is what we're all capable of. In 1986, his first book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, was published, and this event redirected his life. Bernie's realization that we all need help dealing with the difficulties of life, not just the physical ones, led to him writing his fourth book in 1998, Prescriptions for Living. Bernie's been named one of the top 20 spiritually influential people on the planet by Watkins Review. And if you want more details about his work, you can go to his website, BernieSiegelMD.com. Now, Bernie and his wife and co-worker, Bobby, live in a suburb of New Haven, Connecticut. They have five children and eight grandchildren. Bernie and Bobby have co-authored their children, books, and articles. Their home, with its many children, pets, and interests, resembles a cross between a family art gallery, a museum, a zoo, and an automobile repair shop. It still resembles these things, though the children are trying to improve the appearance in order to avoid embarrassment. (laughs) (laughs) Bernie... I don't know if we've missed anything, but if there's anything we did, please feel free to fill in those blanks and, and let us know anything more we need to know. Well, the, the thing I have to add is another humorous story because a few years ago, one of our neighbors <clears throat> was a real estate agent, and I said to her, you know, what do you think our house is worth? And she said, 
if you clean it up, call me, and I'll tell you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because with the kids, one of them restored cars, and uh, we had all kinds of what I call the Seagull Zoo, animals fenced in around the house. I mean, it was and still is rather a bizarre appearing place. But, um, you know, but still it was home. Let's put it that way. And, uh, you know, back to the relationships and everything else. That, uh, one of the things I can tell people, if you're talking about relationships with your children, I always recommend embarrassing your children regularly. <laughs> and we have five kids, and it saved me a lot of money because if you go to a Chinese restaurant and order Italian food, uh, how do your kids feel? When the waitress says, how's everything? And you start shouting, why are you upsetting me? Did you hear the news? Did you read the paper? What a world. And I'm trying to enjoy a meal and you, you know. <laughs> so I would say, mom and I are going out to dinner. Go ahead. We'll eat what's in the fridge. And it saved me a fortune. <laughs> but the other was that the kids came home. And these are true stories. I always say, I don't make these up. One, when he was old enough to have a job. Uh, and the other from school, <clears throat> they'd say, hey, Dad, thanks. I said, what are you thanking me for? You know, I didn't do anything today. Oh, yeah, I did something crazy at school. And the only thing the teacher said was, you know who his father is? And the same thing at work. They didn't get punished because they had this <clears throat> abnormal father. So how can you blame them? And I'd say that what it did was give them a freedom, if you know what I mean. Uh, to be themselves. So they learned to be grateful for some of the craziness of their father. But to me, <clears throat> one of the most interesting things when you talked about partnership, it's no different between marriage and your doctor, I mean, your wife and your physician. Joseph Campbell, years ago, I was reading something and I was quite surprised. <clears throat> uh, this is a quote from him. One of the things I have realized, and people who have been married a long time realize, that marriage is not a love affair. A love affair has to do with immediate personal satisfaction, but marriage is an ordeal. I thought, wow, how can you, what is your wife going to think? When she, but he said it means yielding time and again. That's why it's a sacrament. Give up your personal simplicity to participate in a relationship. And you're not giving to the other person, you're giving to the relationship. And one day after I gave a lecture, and my wife and I, I mean, spoke together. She did stand-up comedy, literally, um, because the audience was predominantly women, and so she, you know, gave it to the men, and uh, everybody loved it. But afterwards, a group of women were just standing around her, and I heard them say, what's it like to be married to him? You know, and I'm expecting some wonderful statement, and so were the women. And my wife said, it's a struggle. And they all turned <laughs> to look at me like, whoa. But, you know, I was nodding my head. I understood what my wife was talking about. I mean, it, it's, again, we're working on a relationship. It's not what I want or what she wants. It's the one plus one equals three. It's this third entity, the relationship. And that is something that we're not trained in as physicians. I mean, this may shock you, but you have a whole class of medical students. Uh, in front of you, 90, 100 kids. And I said, draw yourselves working as a doctor. Because I was showing a set of slides. I mean, mind body is shown in these drawings. You know, it's like a dream. I mean, all this material that comes out when people draw a picture. Uh, and that can include 
draw your home and family. We can get into that. But I said, draw yourself working as a doctor. And they all handed me their pictures. And I couldn't believe what they handed me. Some have no human being in the picture. You know, you have computers, instruments, and drugs. Almost every other one had the student sitting behind a desk, the diploma on the wall behind them, and no patient in the room. It's just them, a desk, and a diploma. One student handed me what I call being a doctor. He's kneeling in front of a wheelchair, so he's right on the level with this woman. He's got his arm around her. It looks like he's connected to her, you know, that he's part of her. And he's handing her a tissue. The stethoscope is around his neck, but he's handing her a tissue. And to me, that's what relationships and connections and partners are about, that you're helping the person with what they need done. She needs a tissue. And it makes him a success, if you know what I mean. It's doing something real, is the way I put it, um, because he's helping her. You know, he's not worrying, what if I can't cure her disease? I mean, I went through all that because I felt I wasn't trained to treat people. I even wrote to the dean of my medical school and kept writing for 50 years until the dean finally answered me, sending the same letter back. I just kept copying it because I said, you didn't train me to take care of people. You trained me to treat disease. And so I was in incredible pain of all the things <laughs> I couldn't cure. And uh, it took me a long time to realize I used to say to patients, I need to hug you. The first two words were, I need. And when I realized I was asking them to do something for me, they all said, we knew you needed it, so we hugged you. And, uh, you know, they became my healers and helped me survive. And that's a part that we all need to be trained to enjoy people. I mean, you know, once I get started telling stories, but how I learned all these things. One of our sons ran a Subway franchise for a while, and I asked him if I could work for him. And he said, what? I said, I like people, you know? So <laughs> they thought he was taking advantage of me, you know, using me, and people knew me and would improve business. <clears throat> but I was the one who wanted to be there, because when people came in, I would say to them, when they ask for a sandwich. Well, I'll make the sandwich, but first you have to answer a question. And they'd look at you like, what's, what's the question? And I'd say, how would you introduce yourself to God? What's the best day of your life? What's evil? Who can you love? I mean, I have about 100 questions I'd go through. And they would start talking to me. I mean, yeah, they'd give me an odd look, but they would answer. <clears throat> We'd get into a conversation. Other customers who were sitting in booths would sometimes say things like, you're wrong. <laughs> and then they'd get into a conversation over, why am I wrong? What do you, you know, well, like somebody said, oh, the best day of my life is when I gave birth to my daughter. And somebody yelled, you're wrong. Why am I wrong? Today's the best day of your life. And then they all laugh and start talking. And we used to have therapy groups, as crazy as it may sound, in Subway. <laughs> and, and when you're happy with people. See, again, you talk about partnerships. I mean, I always say, love your life and love your body, because you need to be a partner with your body, too. But if you grow up without love, 
meaning how you're treated by your parents. The opposite of love is indifference, rejection, and abuse. You grew up with that, you're in deep trouble. You abuse yourself, too, with addictions and all kinds, and you can go out, as we read the headlines, and seek revenge and go killing all kinds of people, um, and then yourself. And that's how you resolve the problem, but it's not a resolution. Uh, I always say two things. One is look for life coaches. Look for people who criticize you in the same constructive way a coach does, so you become a better performer. The other is become what I call a love warrior. Use love as your weapon. If you have a partnership, a relationship that isn't working, tell the other person, I love you regularly. And one example, so people know what I'm saying, then I promise I'll take a deep breath. (laughs) But this was a woman who had alcoholic parents, abusive. She developed cancer, and that's why I got to know her. And I said, tell them I love you every day. And she thought I'm nuts. But she apparently started doing it without telling me. And three months later, she came into the group meeting one day smiling. I said, Mary, what's going on? She said, I was late for work today, so I ran out of the house. And my parents are in the street screaming, you forgot something. So she said, what did I forget? I got my pocketbook, my papers. What, what are you talking about? And they said, you didn't say I love you this morning. And she said, we were hugging and crying in the street. And so my recommendation, you want to improve your partnerships and relationships, say I love you for three months, every day. You can email it even. And at the end of three months, skip a day and see what you hear from the other person. I like that. That's, that's a great challenge, if you will. Yeah. I may add, if you are in, ever pull into a parking space, because I've done this, and somebody starts screaming at you, you know, when you're at some shopping mall, you got my space, what the hell's the matter with you? Couldn't you see how I lower my window and I always say, I love you. And they always drive away. <laughs> <laughs> because if you lowered the window and said, what the hell are you screaming about? I mean, you know, then they keep arguing. I, I had one woman, I don't know, she must have been a drug addict or something, because I was walking away from my car after parking, and this woman came towards me. I don't know her. I have, no idea, screaming and cursing at me. And I said to her, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm sorry. I want you to know I love you. And she turned around and quieted down and went and got in the car and drove away. And a guy came over to me. He said, oh, my God. He said, I want to thank you for that. He said, I thought she was going to level you. I was about to grab her and throw her to the ground so she wouldn't do anything to you. And he couldn't believe that the words, I love you, she couldn't handle it. And off she went. I wish I knew what was going on in her life to help her, but uh, at least I made her stop and think. Yeah. It, and it, I, I think it's so great that you bring that up because, as you, as you mentioned, you know, it's a pretty simple thing to do, but we don't do it. Right. And yet it has yeah. such incredible power and such incredible um ability to connect us and yeah, make us all, wake up to the moment and go, yeah, what am I all angry about? Or what am I right. yelling at that guy for? 
Well, let me ask you something, Bernie. I'm, I'm curious because obviously you have worked in so many different realms and, and you've got a, a what I would consider kind of a heightened awareness about that that level of relationship and partnership and the, what it plays in our life, whether it be our health or our well-being with our partners and so on. And I'm, I'm wondering, do you have kind of a, I don't know, I'd call it a guiding principle or something that you, you keep on tack with where you're like, if not, nothing's going right, I go back to this and it gets me set right. Well, number one, I am critical of myself. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, I don't yell at myself the way you might at one of your children. Hey, dumbbell, stupid, what the hell are you doing? You see, there are people who say my parents' words were killing me. You know, you're a failure, you embarrass me. That's not a coach. So I look at myself, and every morning, in a sense, like a meditation, I express my gratitude for life and that I have what I need. Now, you know, yes, in one of the sentences, I have no complaint whatsoever. Uh, Does that mean I don't have anything in my life I wouldn't want to change and fix? No. You know, it's like the serenity prayer kind of thing. But I I focus on being grateful for what I have and for this day and what I can do with it. And if I don't like how I behave that day, I let those people in my life know. I apologize. See, and then they start coaching me. At the hospital, I said to one of the nurses, what am I, the worst doctor in the freaking hospital? She said, what are you talking about? I said, all the nurses keep telling me, you know, what I'm doing wrong. And she said, well, we know you care, so we tell you. Other doctors make excuses, blame their patients, and we don't even talk to them anymore. But you care, so we talk to you. And then I realized it was a compliment, you know, to have Mm -hmm. them do that with me. But I really try to work on myself. I am not happy with myself. Now, what I mean by that is I try to live the sermon. So when I don't, uh, I get so you know frustrated and I keep working on myself. This morning I had a period where I was happy. I go out, I mean, I'm walking the dog, but meditating at the same time. We live on a circle, so you don't have to think about where you're going. You just keep going. And I realized when I got back to the house, I hadn't said my special prayer and healing for all the members of our family and other people and so forth. But I thought, that's a good sign. You aren't walking thinking about all the things that are wrong. You had a nice walk this morning. So, you know, then I went through my little prayer for everybody. But I liked the fact that my mind wasn't burdened and I was able to really take a walk and just enjoy nature and life and, you know, talk to God and so forth. So, you know, I think we need to build that into our day, that we should interrupt our day with, whether you call it prayer time, meditation time, I, I don't care what label you put on it. And it doesn't have to be religious. Uh, it can come from the various philosophers and others who you know, are are wonderful teachers. Matter of fact, something that I recently read and put on my desk in front of me right now from Jesus. It was in a book um, I was reading from uh, Ernest Holmes, Science of Mind. I love that guy because, you know, science and mind. But 
apparently what Jesus said was, it is done unto you as you believe. Okay? And that's what I'm preaching before I even read that sentence about people's potential. See, what they're capable of. If they change their beliefs, what, it, what they can do. And then this one that was from Leo Rostin. I'll give you a couple other quotes. I cannot believe that the purpose of life is to be happy. I think the purpose of life is to be useful, responsible, and compassionate. It is above all to matter, to count, to stand for something, to have made some difference that you lived it all. That's Leo Rostin. And that is something I agree with. When you talk about how I judge myself, I use the term doing something real. See, you affect another person and their life. Help them to survive. I know that feeling. See, I can look up at the sky then and say, hey, I've done something real at last. And I can remember with my first book, Love, Medicine, Miracles, it became number one on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list. And I can remember walking out of the house that morning to go get the newspaper, looking up at the sky and saying, I've done something real at last. I've helped millions of people all over the planet. I've done something. And that doesn't mean just in the numbers, if you know what I mean. Save one life. Make a difference in one person's life or any living thing's life. And you've done something real. You've made a difference. And I think that's what we're all here for, to make a difference and, uh, you know, to live the sermon uh, be creative, be a healer for others, and be there with them. See, again, as a physician, studies that are done, and everybody listening can do this. Sit alone in the bathroom and put your hand in a bucket of ice. Fill, you know, a little wastebasket with ice and put your hand in. And time how long you can keep it there until it just gets too painful. Then refill the bucket Gather your family and all your pets around you and put your hand back in the ice and watch how much longer you can keep it there. Why? Because you've got the love. You're surrounded by people who care and it changes you and it literally changes your chemistry. I mean, there are many studies done with that, which even includes the benefits of pets in helping you survive when you have a disease and you compare people to the, you know, the dog owners, to those who don't have a dog in the house. And the dog owners live longer um, because your chemistry has changed when you pet that furry creature. And it's not just, oh, I take the dog for a walk, so I'm getting more exercise. No, that is not the issue. It's how you feel because you have another living thing there who cares about you. And I always say, if you want to change, find a role model. And then act and behave as if you're the person you want to be. And see, then the coaches help you get better at it, as long as they know that's what you're attempting. And studies have shown, one uh, student down at the University of South Florida years ago, it impressed me because he took, as part of his master's thesis, he took actors and gave them scripts to read, comedies, tragedies, murders, and he drew their blood while they were reading the scripts. And of course, immune function went up, stress hormone levels went down when they were doing comedies. 
and the opposite happened when they were involved in tragedy. Immune function went down, stress hormone levels go up. So again, physicians need to understand that too, and it's not about blaming patients, but you, you can't separate your health from your life. I, used, I started asking patients, because I learned from my own family, as well as patients, that what happened last year or two in your life? And then you'd get stories that had to do with life-changing events. And therefore, it affected their vulnerability to a disease at that time. And yet other doctors would say to me, why do you keep blaming your patients? I said, what are you talking about? Well, you keep saying what's going on in your life. You're blaming them for getting sick. I said, no, I'm trying to help them get well. So if we look at why you may have gotten sick at this time, uh, then you have something to understand. I mean, I can tell you on a personal level, my wife and I both got sick years ago. You try having five children, which included twins, born in seven years. I mean, it was exhausting, and we both got sick. And we realized we need help. <laughs> we need help. So we went and got it. And it's part of what got me into holistic medicine and a lot of other things, to begin to take care of yourself and understand illness. You know, it's not just some strange thing that strikes you. It's looking at what's going on in your life, what could make you vulnerable, and not blaming, but living the message and uh, working at it. And a lot of people don't want to, uh, <clears throat> you know, because then, oh, well, I'll, uh, you know, if I don't get well, I made a mistake. I did it wrong. So I learned that too. When I send out a hundred letters to people with cancer, telling them to come to a group meeting so they could live a longer, better life. Now, what am I thinking? Because I grew up with love. I like my life. I'm expecting hundreds of people to show up because the secretary who typed the letter for me forgot to put in, this is not for anyone else. It's just for those of you who are receiving the letter. And what was my shock? Twelve women showed up. Wow. And see, that's when you realize when, when you give the world information, doesn't mean a damn thing. They need inspiration. And I mean this when I say that. If, if I were the president of the United States, yeah, I'd be a love warrior. I'd be telling all our enemies, hey, let me help you out. What do you want to do? What do you want to fix in your country? How can I help you make it easier? Um, and I would tell all the kids, I love you. If you need a father, I'll be your father. I'm not going to tell them, don't drink soda water. It's bad for you. Um, <laughs> you know, don't be an addict. Don't smoke. People know that it's not good for them. It, that's not the problem. The problem is feeling loved. And what just popped into my head was what happened in my office one day. Because I realized, as I said, the opposite of love is indifference and rejection. So patients who were self-destructive expected me, like all the other doctors, to say, there's no point in your coming back. You don't follow instructions. You're not taking your medication. So I'm not giving you a return appointment. I always gave them return appointments. And then I noticed months down the road, they began to take care of themselves. Why? Because I cared about them. 
somebody made them realize I'm worth something. And one young lady one day, who I met because she was suicidal, said, uh, you're my CD. I said, excuse me, I'm a CD? She said, yeah, you're my chosen dad. Hmm. And that's a line I use regularly now to people who are in trouble, pain, depressed, want to commit suicide. I'll be your CD. You're a child of God. I love you. And uh, it's wonderful to form relationships with those people. They really become family. Um, and that's what we all need. You know, we need somebody. And all, see, teachers, doctors, politicians, school teachers, I mentioned, uh, you know, working at Subway, it doesn't matter. If you make somebody feel better, feel worthwhile, then everything changes. One woman wrote a poem called Purple. I, I keep forgetting her name. But when she was in first grade, they were all asked to draw a picture. And she drew a purple tent. And the teacher starts screaming at her, the tents aren't purple, it's a color for people who are dying. I, I mean, she just criticized the hell out of her. And she said, I'm not going to hang your picture on the wall with the other children. She said, in second grade, Mr. Barter said, draw a picture. And she left her paper blank. Think about her fears, saying what somebody's going to say if she does it wrong again. And what you would say if you were her teacher. Well, he saved her life. He came over, put his hand on her shoulder and said, the snowfall, how clean and white and beautiful. And at middle age, she's writing that story mm -hmm. because it's obvious he saved her life. He reparented her and made her feel so different. And, you know, I always get a kick out of people who remember their third grade teacher, you know, why? Because they did something that affected your life. See, the teacher did something real, affected your life, and you never forget. I have to say, I was loved at home. Uh, I don't remember all my teachers. <laughs> I, I, you know, I was a bright kid. I did well. Uh, yeah, I had my fun. Um, but I can't remember some, that I needed some teacher to make me feel okay because I had grandparents and parents who let me know they may not like what I'm doing, but they love me. And that's something I made a point to our kids. I love you, but I don't like what you're doing. So that's when, yeah, I would get angry, uh, scold them, uh, you know, and let them know that. But they always knew their love. And the greatest gift, maybe a year ago, was one, one of the kids who drove us nuts. Um, let, let me just so you understand that. One of the children said to me one day, I don't get 20% of your time. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you have five children, which you each get 20%. I said, your brother is driving us nuts, so he gets 40. See, so this boy who got the 40 and drove us nuts sent an email for myself and my wife saying, I want you to know that I am grateful for the love you gave me. And he went on because he said, if something happened to me and I had never said this to you, uh, I would feel so bad. So thank you for all that you did. And that's to me what I call winning the lottery of life. That somebody says to you, thank you. 
thank you. You made a difference. And that includes patients I meet, you know, when I'm taking our pets to the vet or at the supermarket or somewhere, and they'll walk up and say, do you remember me? Most of the time I can't. <laughs> I mean, I may remember their face, but I can't remember every detail. And then they'll discuss it and tell me what I meant to them and how my behavior and how I treated them made a difference. And this sentence from uh, Schweitzer, the integration of the doctor-patient roles into a healing team is to me the true essence of holistic medicine. Medicine is not only a science, but also the art of letting our own individuality interact with the individuality of the patient. And to me, it's life. It's not just doctor-patient. It's about all the relationships and partnerships you talked about. We had somebody fixing our refrigerator today, and I was talking to somebody else who was in our house, because they said that a lot of the time, doctors treat people like you treat a house. What do I mean by that? You have an electrician. You have a plumber. Uh, you have an appliance repair man. You have a roofer. But the body is a unit. It's not electrical, you know, plumbing. We are a unit. Mind and body are a unit. You can't treat one without affecting the other. And Jung, Carl Jung talked about that, you know, decades ago. Uh, and again, medicine has to understand and accept that. I mean, suicide rates in physicians are higher than the general population. That ought to tell you something about how they understand pain, uh, you know, what I was going through, but I sought help. I looked for help. And I always remember Elizabeth Kubler-Ross saying to me, Bernie, you have needs too. And we all have to understand that. Because I was mad as hell at life. Yeah. At God, at everybody. Who would create a terrible world like this? But let me add that too to your relationships and partnerships. Because one of my questions I'd like to ask is, if you could be God, you know, remember I said I had all these questions I asked people. If you could be God for a day, why would you want to be God? Almost everybody tells you they want to fix things. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, that's the wrong answer. The right answer is, so I would understand why. And the answer is that a perfect world is not creation. It's a magic trick. That came from a story called The Next Voice You Hear, where God talks to everybody on the planet. Um, it was written back in the 40s, I think, by Edward Albee. And um, that sentence hit me, you know. A Bernie? perfect world is not creation. It's a magic trick. That is fabulous. And you know what I, I'm realizing is clearly you have impacted and affected people today with your stories and what you've shared. It certainly helped me. And I know that the... The, we mentioned earlier your website of BernieSiegelMD.com. Is that the best place for people to contact you and find out more about what yes. you do? Okay. Yeah, Great. yeah, because it'll come, if, if you go into the contact, it comes directly to me. Perfect. Um, and there are good stories there where they can see, again, how mind and body interact. I mean, one that I wrote was called Deceiving People into Health. As strange as it may sound, I would lie to people for their benefit. Okay, the doctor's talking to you. You believe him. It's a hypnotic effect, so I would use it to their benefit. And for people to remember that and use it with their families and everything else. And one quick last thing is I mentioned about drawings. I would say to your kids, as well as for yourself, draw a picture of your home and family. 
and don't do it to criticize or but do it to learn tell them you're going to put the picture on the refrigerator because you're proud of them and then see are you touching each other is it a family circle or is dad at work mom in the kitchen my brother in the yard and i'm you know in my bedroom i mean look at it and you'll learn or you got six people on the sofa with an empty seat and one kid sitting off by themselves i mean those are things that i then show to parents so they realize I'm not criticizing them. Your child is saying this. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. Well, Bernie, thank you again for being on the show. This has been incredible. And I, I, I'm i going to be digesting this for a while. I'm sure everybody that's listening is too. But thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my gift to speak. I mean, it's it, you know, there's an energy that we share. And I'd say thank you. Thank you for the gift and the opportunity, Ken. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. I release a brand new episode every Monday through Friday, so make sure you don't miss a single show. Go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher and iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else, either in person or on the web. Have a great day, and remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.